the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red blood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website, and now your host for the CU at the Game podcast. Coming to you in late April 2020, the issue of whether there will be a college football season in 2020 and under what conditions remains up in the air. There are several schools in the Pac-12, including Oregon and Arizona, which have already stated that they intend to have face-to-face campus instruction this fall, and where there are students, there are student-athletes. Others, like California Governor Gavin Newsom, have stated that they do not anticipate what he termed mass gatherings, which would include NFL and college football games, until at least 2021. While we wait for everything to be sorted out concerning the future, the past remains available for us to discuss. At the CU at the Game website, I've been counting down my top 40 games of the past 40 years of CU football, along with my top 40 players of the past 40 years. I hope you will take a look and give me your list of favorites. I've also been running a series called Looking Back. I put together a run-through of some of CU's greatest seasons, with a short synopsis of each game of that season with video highlights when available. To date, I've posted a Looking Back link to the 1989, 1990, 1994, 95, 96, 2001, and 2016 seasons with more memories and more seasons to be posted as our spring turns into summer. Here at the podcast, with this episode, we're introducing a new series, Road Trip. In my 40 years of being a Buff fan, I have crisscrossed the nation many times following our Buffs. On most of those trips, I've been accompanied by my best friend, Brad Geiger, and along the way, we have accumulated our share of fun stories. For our first Road Trip segment, we have chosen College Station, Texas, home of the Texas A&M Aggies. If the 2020 schedule plays out, the bus will be traveling to College Station, Texas this fall with the game scheduled for September 19th. Brad and I have already made that trip, heading down for the full Aggie experience for the 2008 CU A&M matchup. We took in Yale practice at midnight on Friday at Kyle Field, and along the way hit the famous Dixie Chicken restaurant. I hope you'll enjoy our recounting of our trip, along with a look at some of the traditions associated with A&M, like the band and the war hymn, Please Don't Call It a Fight Song, along with stories behind the 12th man and the Texas A&M Collie mascot, Reveille. Today, as we record, it is April 25th, which was on the schedule the date for the CU spring game. We know life as we know it is not the same as far as college football or pretty much anything else these days. So we're going to do a little extra 
bit today. We're just going to call it Road Trip. I'm going to be talking with my BFF, my best man, my best friend, Brad Geiger. How are you doing today, Brad? Doing pretty well. In a world without sports, we at least today have the NFL draft, so we can think about what competitive sports may someday look like. Yes. And congratulations to the Buffs that were drafted. It's nice to have uh, Colorado players getting some national coverage, and we'll hope that this is the sign of good things to come in uh, future years for the Buffs. But we're going to talk today a little bit about going on the road to follow CU. Uh, you and I have been going to CU Road Games, I think the first was 85, was that the Nebraska trip? Yeah, fall, correctly. fall of 85. Yeah. We Did drove we... across all of Nebraska and then all of Kansas. Went to the CU Nebraska game, then went down to Kansas City for uh, the Chiefs and the Broncos. And it happened to be the same weekend as the 85 World Series, the I-70 Series, between the Kansas City Royals and the St. Louis Cardinals. We happened to be in town for you know Game Six and Game Seven, so it was a an interesting weekend. We went to Buff games before '85, but uh, road trips were not really in the offing before '85 because, well, it was hard enough just going to Folsom Field to watch CU play in the early '80s. So going on road trips was not exactly something you expect to do on a regular basis. But we started in '85, and looking at my little map of the continental United States. If you look north and west, we have been to Seattle. We've been to Husky Stadium, which was a, a beautiful place to see a football game. South and east, we've been as far south and east as, well, Athens and, well, Miami. We've been to the Orange Bowl, um, had some adventures down there. South and west, L.A., uh, football for Colorado. And actually, we want to cheat a little bit. We've been to San Diego for football, but that wasn't a CU game. That was a holiday bowl game between the Cowboys, the Wyoming Cowboys, and the Oklahoma State Cowboys. And there are some stories there. And then uh, north and east. See who doesn't play north and east very much. I have been, actually, I've been to Boston um, to see the Buffs play, but that was a, a grandson trip to see him play UMass at Gillette Stadium. As far as you and I have been north and east, probably Columbus, right? Columbus. Yeah, that oh. would be as far... Yeah. The, the the Ohio State University, the Horseshoe, uh, yes. the place where my wife uh, went to undergrad and graduate school and had a, an office in the stadium at the Horseshoe and has never been to a football game. So uh, I've actually been to two football games at Ohio State, and my wife, who is from Ohio, has been to none. So fortunately, I have one Brad Geiger to go with me on road trips. So we have been... Too many, many games across the years and across the miles. Certainly, and and you know, it just not with a great deal of pattern. Although we have oftentimes made the choices based on how iconic the stadium was in college football lore, and you know what we thought could play well for CU. So, which yes. explains our trip to Texas A and M, which we're going to talk about today. Yes. So it seems appropriate, uh, at least on the schedule for. 2020 right now, September 19th, the Buffs will be traveling to College Station to take on the Texas A&M Aggies, which will probably be a top 10 team. And that is one of our road trips. Uh, we were able to take that trip in 2008, along with a friend of mine, well, a friend of ours uh, from here in Bozeman, Randy Taufelmeyer, went with us on that trip. 
And let's see, we it was November 1st, 2008, and we flew into Houston. And why don't you take it from take it from there? Where do we go from Houston? I don't think we stayed in College Station. I think we stayed in a hotel somewhere between Houston and College Station, if I remember correctly. I believe that, yeah, we landed in Houston. One of the things people don't realize is that College Station is not actually near anything. So I think we flew in, and but we got into College Station in the evenings. So I think we flew in and to Houston, stayed some small place in the north of Houston, and then proceeded to drive to Texas Station, which is as legendary as it is for college football. It is truly just a college town. There yeah. is nothing else there. There is very little. My recollection was the two tallest buildings in town were the stadium and the water tower. And there was a whole lot of nothing in every direction other than the college town. So, yeah, having driven across Texas, I know you've driven across Texas. I really don't know what they're proud of, but they are proud of it. So we will give them that. Um, but there well, was a reason. they're generally proud of how big they are. Yeah. <laughs> much of what there is is not all that impressive. Yes. But we, we drove up on Friday night for a purpose because we are aware of midnight yell practice. We'd actually attended midnight yell practice in Denver a while before that. It was at the, the state capitol when the Aggies came to Boulder. You remember that? I think we, mm-hmm. uh, I think we went to a, a comedy club or something like that to kill time, since, of course, midnight yell practice takes place at, well, you know, midnight on Friday night before a game. And we went to the state capitol and... There were, I don't know, hundreds at least of Aggie fans there for Yale practice, so we had some idea of what we are getting into. But we had to kill some time Friday night, so we found ourselves in an establishment that had been recommended to us by the name of the Dixie Chicken. Would you describe the Dixie Chicken for us, Brad? Well, you know, for those who went to Boulder and recall the Dark Horse Tavern, the Dixie Chicken is the Dark Horse Tavern if it had been around another 50 years and had not been cleaned in that ensuing half century. Yes. I think. Um, it, is, uh, it is dedicated to all things Texas A&M. It is a beer joint, pure and simple, and it is apparently legendary in Texas and for good reason. It is what one would want for a college town beer joint. Yes, and it was, you know, one of those directly, you know, there, it's just kind of like, Broadway and Boulder that you're either on campus on one side of the street or you're off campus on the other side of the street. Uh, I think in my write-up for the game, I compared it to the, or stated it was like the sink meets the dark horse. And that's, uh, mm-hmm. so yes, it was an establishment just off of campus. Let's see, I wrote down a wooden structure with hunting trophies on the wall and Willie Nelson tunes on the speakers. And the menu was not for vegetarians. There was... Shiner, no, is that it? Shinerbach? Shinerbach. Shinerbach beer, yeah. Um, and Lone Star were the beers that were on tap. So, yes, we were deep in the heart of Texas. And we just went to get something to eat and have a few beers. And we had an encounter with some Texas A&M fans, which, you know, wearing our CU gear, we kind of stood out. Tell us uh, your recollection of our encounter with the Texas Aggie fans at the Dixie Chicken restaurant on Friday night before the game. Well, our position has always been that if you're doing a road trip to support your team, you are in full team colors. And we've never, perhaps a few exceptions, had any serious problem with that. 
But as we finished our first pitcher of beer, we were approached by a gentleman I recall being rather large, wearing Texas A&M colors. And um, he, the first thing he said was, they let you buy that beer in here? <laughs> Which gives one pause at that point to wonder how the rest of the night's going to go. But um, after we acknowledged we had indeed paid for our beer, he said, well, that's the last ones you'll pay for for the rest of the night. And things went uphill from there. It is a reminder that college football fans are fans of their teams, but also fans of college football. Yes. And I, and I think, you know, to give credit to Aggie fans, it, generally we've been treated well almost everywhere we've gone, that if they you know understand that you're not there to pick fights, you're not there to be loud and rowdy and obnoxious, they appreciate you being there, and they're more than happy to share their school and their traditions with you. And these guys were no different. So we had our fill, both of greasy food and beer, and then we wandered over to the the stadium for midnight yell practice. And that is a an event unto itself. If you are a college football fan and ever have the chance to go to a Texas A&M game like this fall, uh, you do not want to just go to the game. You want to go to midnight yell practice. How would you describe midnight yell practice? Well, it's... It's kind of like a religious service in that it is repeating things that everybody knows. Everybody knows the words to the yells. Everybody knows the gestures. To be there and not be an A&M fan means you are a bit of a, of a heretic. <laughs> but it is also joyous to watch 40,000 people in unison do something that they clearly love and enjoy. One of the joys of college football is, of course, the fans and the feeling in that stadium. But this is planned and premeditated, and it it's a ritual like everything else. And it's loud and raucous but organized and almost military at times. It was it's unlike anything you've ever seen. Yes, and I'm going to defer... Uh, my description to a couple of authors from a book that I read, what actually was the um, the impetus, the origin story for See You at the Game, a book called Saturday Afternoon Madness. And I did check on Amazon. If you want to get it in paperback, you can get it for less than five bucks. Of course, it's now 25 years out of date, but it was a couple of guys that took a fall off and decided to cross the country and go to football games. And to absorb everything that they could about the traditions of college football. And they actually attended the Colorado-Nebraska game in Boulder that year. And it's Saturday Afternoon Madness. Bob Waddlestein and Phil Silverman are the authors. And here's how they described their uh, trip to Kyle Field and to witness yell practice, midnight yell practice. The entire procession seemed to be led by three guys clad in overalls and carrying axe handles. For lack of a more descriptive name, we'll call them the hee-haw boys. As we looked on in complete amazement, one of the hee-haw boys stepped up to the microphone and let out a thunderous howdy. We nearly jumped out of our shorts when the entire student section replied in unison with an even more deafening howdy. Then the hee-haw boys told some jokes about the University of Texas, during which the students continually intervened with assorted yelps, whoops, and hisses. If this wasn't bizarre enough, 
Every now and then, the hee-haw boys would start waving their hands in crazy spastic motions, except that they couldn't have been totally crazy, because within moments, the entire student section would be making the same inexplicable motions. After finishing their seizures, everyone again assumed the please sir may I have another position, which is leaning forward hands on knees, and let forth another mighty yell. Despite being clueless, we were incredibly impressed. I think that would sum up my feeling as well. We were incredibly impressed with the entire process. And they tell uh, corny jokes, and mostly at the University of Texas's expense, but they make fun of you know the upcoming opponent as well. But that's all part of the fun, is that they're corny jokes, but that's they're, they're intended to be corny jokes. They're, they're just making fun of the upcoming opponent, not in any mean-spirited way, but just having fun. And here are 20, 30, 40,000 people that are hanging out at midnight the day before the game to participate in, like you said, in a ritual that they are already very well familiar with. It's just a big party. And if you are a fan of college football, you are a fan of college football tradition, it is something that is worth seeing. Now, there are a number of other traditions involved with Texas A&M. The band is probably, I don't know, for my money, probably the best college band I've ever seen. Is there, we've seen Ohio State's band. There are other, SC. SC band. There are other quality bands out there, but I don't know, for my money, I, I would pay money to go watch the Texas A&M band perform. Well, and what's amazing about them, and there are, there are showier bands, there are schools that essentially are built around their showier bands, but uh, A&M comes from the core, and the core is a military group, and the A&M band is as precise, as well run, as clearly disciplined as any uniformed group you will ever see if you are supposed to be you know it's like running a pattern if you're supposed to be here at this step they are there at that step and you can appreciate the precision even if you don't know really what else is supposed to be doing but it's just it's beautifully done yeah and they did come i don't know if it was the same year we went to Yale practice down at uh, the capital in denver but they did bring the band to boulder one one year and my version of it, I mean, you know, any given halftime, half the people leave. Uh, they go out to get refreshments, go to the bathroom, go out to tailgate, but or just walk the corridors, just get out and about. But the Texas A&M band came to Boulder. Everyone stayed. And in 40 years of watching Colorado football, I think it's the only time that a band, home or away, got a standing ovation. It is that good and that fun to watch. So... The, the band is another one of those traditions that is worth going to see at Texas A&M. There's also, you know, other traditions. I mean, if you, if you love college football, you love traditions, again, Texas A&M is a hotbed. The Twelfth Man is another tradition. You know the story? You want me to tell the story? No, uh, you go ahead. It dates back to the 20s. There was a player by the name of E. King Gill who was a football player, or no, he wasn't a football player, but um, he was helping out in the press box of a game that Texas A&M was playing. 
um, up in Dallas, and all the players on the field, on the Texas A&M side of the field, were getting injured, and the head coach won Dana X Bible. No, but that's for a, a Southwest Conference coach. Dana X Bible knew that uh, E. King Gill was up in the press box helping identify players for the you know the people that were covering the game, and he waved for him to come down, and he actually put on a uniform of one of the players that had been injured, and he never actually got into the game, but he was the last man standing on the bench on the side of the field, and of course Texas A&M, it wouldn't be a great story, but they came back and actually won the game in a big upset. And so the theory of the 12th man actually standing ready not necessarily to come into the game, but standing ready, prepared to come into the game, has been passed down since the 20s. And for a while there, I don't know if they still do this, but they used to have a walk-on that would wear the number 12, and he would play on the kickoff team. He would be on special teams. He would only come in for kickoffs. And I'm sure it was somebody that wasn't athletic, but certainly not deserving necessarily of a scholarship to be on the football field. It's you know, a member of the SEC or then the Big 12, but um, number 12 would come onto the field and serve on the kickoff team as a representative of all the students who, of course, like at CU, they stand for the entire game. At least in College Station, they are standing ready to participate in the game if called upon. I just love that story. I love that tradition. And I think that's one of the charms of, you know, Texas A&M is the, is the 12th man. Oh, unquestionably, because, it, again, it goes into, you could ungratefully refer to Texas A&M as a university built around a football team, which is probably unfair to the actual students and particularly the engineering students. But those who went to Boulder, and we, we somehow understand this, understand that the way we feel about football, at least people not like Stuart and I, is different than the way people in the SEC feel about football, and particularly the way people in Texas feel about football. And that kind of commitment has to impress. It has to, in some way, awe you. You can feel it literally in your bones and the, the vibration of the stadium in your very core. <laughs> well, very core. Now, that's a nice <laughs> nice play on words there, Brad. Very, yes, right to, your, right to the core. One other tradition I like because I like dogs, um, Reveille. Oh, yeah. The story of Reveille, this goes again, goes back to like the, the 20s or something like that, that. The story was a group of students were coming back from probably doing something they weren't supposed to do, but they were on their way back and actually ran over a dog uh, with their car. Fortunately, obviously did not kill the dog because that would not make for a very, very good story. But the wounded dog they took back to the barracks. And, of course, it was barracks at that time. Um, and the next morning when Reveille was sounded, the dog started barking, which was not only cute and wonderful, it was very dangerous because, of course, they weren't supposed to have a dog in the barracks. Now, uh, Reveille, you know, then became the tradition to lead the band out. And now it's a collie. It wasn't a collie. The very first one apparently wasn't collie, but now it is a, a collie. And has a rank, I'm not sure it's like major or general or something yeah, along those lines. Outranks its handlers. It outranks its handlers, and you know the students have to you know salute as uh, Reveille's walking across campus, and 
there's some, you know, theoretical tradition. I think if Reveille wants to leave class or something, the class is supposed to be dismissed. I don't think that one got very far. But, uh, you know, very well taken care of by its handlers. It's a big tradition of uh, picking the Reveille handlers and, you know, who gets the honor of doing that. Um, and Reveille, I believe it's not just Aga. I think Reveille has this as well, that all the former Reveille's, the ones that have died, are buried near or in front of or beside the stadium, and they have a scoreboard, a running scoreboard during the game so that the Reveille's can keep track of how the Aggies are doing during the game. And I think Aga, they have that at Georgia, too. We ran into that when we went to Athens, that uh, both Reveille's, former Reveille's, and former Uggas are buried now, burying a Ralphie near Folsom Field would be a little more problematic than having a small dog uh, be buried. But Yeah, I think bringing in the backhoe to dig the <laughs> grave probably would be somewhat more disruptive. Yeah, so, but Texas A&M, it's hard to get to as far as travel is concerned. It's in the middle of nowhere, and there isn't a whole lot to do other than football. It's not a, not a especially – I mean, I don't want to – say anything negative about any place, but I mean, it's not a particularly attractive campus or anything. It's just kind of a college campus. But to be able to go to a game at College Station, I think should be on every college football fan's bucket list. Would you Would you concur that that was a, a worthwhile trip and a worthwhile excursion? Oh, unquestionably. And, you know, we've been to Athens, Georgia and Austin, Texas and you know, Washington and other places that took football with some level of seriousness. But there is something unique about being in a town where the, the game you are going to is unquestionably the most important thing to 95% of the people in that town. And you have to once in a while see that kind of thing. Yeah. And that hard to admit. I mean, we like to think of Colorado fans as being as dedicated and as fanatical as others. Colorado does not have that same sort of reputation and never will. No, and, and, and you know, you can say in part because there are other things to do in Boulder. <laughs> but if, if you yes. choose to go to Texas A&M, the football program is one of the reasons you are there. Yes. And as college football fans... Well, I'd love to do a Texas-Texas A&M game, but they're not even playing anymore, which makes it kind of interesting because the Texas A&M fight song is all about beating Texas. I mean, the, the song is literally, the words to the song are about beating Texas. I mean, it's hard to, you know, <laughs> do that when you never get to play Texas, but they don't actually, they don't they don't call it a fight song. It's the battle hymn. So... That's telling you something right there. But they talk about goodbye to Texas University. And it's always small letters, the Texas University. It's not the University of Texas. It's always Texas University. And you never capitalize the T or the U. It's, you know, the small T-U. One of the, you know, goodbye to Texas University, so long to the orange and white. Good luck to the dear old Texas Aggies. They are the boys that show the re the real old fight. The eyes of Texas are upon you. That is the song they sing so well. So goodbye to Texas University. We're going to beat you all to, and then they sing other things. So to have such hatred for another school is kind of fun. And they certainly 
hate Texas more than anything. So I, I think as long as we didn't wear burnt orange, if we wear CU gear, you know, to a game at Texas Station or College Station, you're going to be fine. But probably not a good idea to wear burnt orange at the Dixie Chicken. I don't think you're going to get beer bought for you um, if you're wearing burnt orange. I think that's a pretty safe bet, wouldn't you say? I, I would say that that is, uh, you know, that uh, rivalries do matter. And, you know, you can say that one of the sad parts about conference realignment is that Texas A&M and Texas do not play every year and that uh, there is something lost in that. Yeah, I think we we felt that the last two years playing Nebraska, that there was certainly a more heightened awareness of the college football season with Nebraska on the schedule. That uh, whether they think of us as a rival, and of course they will never claim that, but certainly CU fans were excited about playing Nebraska, and it's you know it's kind of a shame that we don't get to play them every year. Yeah, traditions. I mean, what it, college football without its traditions is just minor league football. Yeah. With its traditions, it's something extraordinarily special. Okay, I I think we'll leave it at that. So. <laughs> Whether or not the University of Colorado will be playing Texas A&M in College Station on September 19th is certainly in the to-be-determined category. But if the, the Buffs do play this year, or maybe it's rescheduled for a future year, it would be our recommendation that if you have the opportunity as a Buff fan, take in a, a Texas A&M game and by all means Go the day before so that you can be there to have dinner at the Dixie Chicken and head off to midnight Yale practice. Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. As a reminder, the podcast is now available on sites such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please subscribe so that you are notified of our next podcast, which I anticipate to be another mailbag podcast coming in mid-May. If you have questions for the mailbag, comments about the podcast, or even suggestions for future podcasts, I'd love to hear from you. Just drop me a note at seeyouatthegame at gmail.com. Again, I hope you'll be checking out our See You at the Game website, which is updated several times daily with the latest in CU news. And check out the running series, 40 top games and players of the last 40 years, along with the Looking Back series, which has stories from every game CU has played in some of the Buffs' magical seasons. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game, go Buffs. Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to See you at the game at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.